1: This is the Colorado Hunting Hub podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Episode
2: 54 is what we're on
1: which is crazy to think we've only been running this podcast in April and already on episode 54 learned a lot in the process and want to thank all you listeners for listening and supporting in the way that you have. We love reading the Instagram messages, the, the emails. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for those and love uh, being a part of your, your hunting lives. Uh, Cause it's a big part of mine and as well as Andreas. And so big thanks to her as well. We just got off the phone and have some, uh, we got some ideas, some fun, fun ideas and things. So we're, uh, we're looking at some growth again. And I know you keep hearing that, but I got a growth mindset and if we're not getting better, we're not going anywhere. So that's my goal is to provide quality content, lots of content for you guys and to, to continue to share our hunting heritage with you and that is once again the ultimate goal Uh, i don't make any money doing this andrea doesn't make any money doing this so we are just spending our time our spare time trying to provide uh something for you guys and share a little bit about how the outdoors and hunting has has changed and impact our lives and that's i think again the the main purpose to any any real uh hunting podcast or, uh, hunting show or something like that. That is what it kind of boils down to. It's just to keep this hunting heritage alive. So we are interviewing Randy from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He is, uh, dealing with a lot of fire related questions and, and deal things around that. And holy smokes, if it is not about, uh, Joe Biden or president Trump, then it's about fires or it's about wolves. That's what has been hitting I Hunt Colorado's Facebook page. And not a single one of them has been a wonderful conversation to read or great comments. They all get heated, they all get kind of nasty, and we got to mute the, the, the comments on it. So uh, the the fires have just been in that same kind of world. So we wanted to put together just a little episode to clear the air on some of the things from CPW, and uh randy has a couple important things to hear so thanks again for listening and i hope you enjoy just wanted to shout out real quick to big agnes branded bills OnX, and wilderness athlete we've got discounts for most of those down below in the show description So check, check that out below and want to get some good hunting gear check out those companies I want to welcome back our old friend Randy at, from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and we've got a hot topic. I'm a dad now, so I can add a couple of uh, dad jokes. Dad jokes in there. So we've got a hot topic <laughs> of fires, and been a big uh, fire season this year. Obviously, probably not just a big one, but one of the biggest in in our history. Uh, and you guys at, at Colorado Parks and Wildlife are dealing with social, biological, political, what have you, uh, aspects of, of not just you've had COVID, now you've got fires and, and a variety of things you guys have had to figure out. So um, for those who, who haven't listened to prior episodes we've done with you, Randy, you want to introduce yourself and we'll jump right into some fire.
2: Sure. Yeah. Randy Hampton and I'm the public information officer for Colorado parks and wildlife for the Northwest part of the state, the Northwest region. So uh, most of the fire activity has been in our region this year. Um, you know, and I, I think we've had seven major fires in the Northwest region since the beginning of, of the, the fire season, um, since the beginning of the year. And it's been, uh, it's been pretty challenging to keep track of, of what's going on and where, um, and, and that's really what we're doing. And like you said, there's a biological element to it. There's a social element to it. There's certainly you know, the political element to it, and we can talk about all of those things as Colorado Parks and Wildlife has tried to balance this and maybe give your listeners some insight into into how we have to approach those things.
1: Sure. That'd be great. But first, let's uh, recap a couple of our big fires, which where are they and kind of what units associated with those that are that are you seeing?
2: Well, so if you if you really start out in, um, you know, kind of the beginning of the year, if we go, you know, chronologically at this, you know, we we started out with um, kind of the, the Pine Gulch fire, which was north of Grand Junction. Um, it became a massive fire, really through game management units 30 and 31. Um, that fire became the, you know, at 139,000 acres, the largest fire in Colorado history up at, up to that point. And so we all went, wow, you know, that's massive. We've never seen anything like this. It passes the Hayman fire. It's, it's just this giant fire. And then, as the Pine Gulch Fire kind of began to wind down, we start seeing, you know, Grizzly Creek, which burned up in the Glenwood Canyon area and actually shut down Interstate 70 for a week. Um, we see the Williams Fork Fire, which is up in the Green Mountain Reservoir area, about 14,000 acre fire um, that basically closed out a lot of Game Management Unit 28. then we, you know, moving forward from that, um, saw the, the Cameron peak fire, very big fire, which burned mostly on the, the other side of the continental divide from us in Northwest, so over in our Northeast region, um, but really closed out a lot of the, the area for people that were trying to get into, you know, Northwest Colorado from the, from the front range, throw in the. The Mullen Fire to the north, uh, which started in Wyoming and was a massive fire, actually wound down just a little bit into Colorado, um, created some challenges in kind of the northern section of Jackson County for us. And then, um, you know, then the, then blew up the East Troublesome Fire, which was... Uh, Did something that I don't think, and and I've been on a number of the fire calls with the professionals that fight these fires year in, year out, you know, nationwide. That fire did something we had never seen in, you know, in the history of timber fires in Colorado, but it moved more than 100,000 acres in 24 hours. It was an absolutely incredible uh, you know, action by a fire that, that people had really never seen before, um, and it it you know it, it prompted the evacuation of Grand Lake and Granby, and you know over the hill into Estes Park, and really created some significant challenges, and and hundreds of structures up into you know around about a thousand structures lost in you know these bigger fires, Cameron Peak and East Troublesome, so. It's been um, really, really a very, very big, busy fire year. And, you know, I I, want to answer everybody's questions about how does this relate to hunting? But I don't want to get too far down that road without saying something first. You know, we're talking about hundreds of people who have lost their homes. And, you know, it is a significant, significant thing. And we don't want to lose sight of that though we often talk about, and we'll talk about here today, Clint, how, you know, we're trying to get hunters out there in the field and, and pushing to reopen areas, um, as we do our jobs. And, and we don't want to make it sound like we've lost sight of, of the, the tragedies of these fires and the losses that people have suffered. Um, so, you know, that in mind that this is a, you know, significant social tragedy, um, we can talk about maybe the biological and the hunting impacts of, of those fires.
1: That's a really good point because we're, we're often self-centered and thinking about ourselves and our hunt that we have saved up for, or Mm -hmm. we do every year. And when that impacts us as an individual who's maybe an outsider, it's not, there's not a fire burning in our backyard for sure. That's a, that's going to hit us a little differently than those, those folks that are, um in it and w- we should definitely need to be putting ourselves in their shoes and and having some of that empathy in that way so i'm glad you bring that up because
2: yeah and fortunately most people have that empathy you know that's been the that's been the interesting experience is you know we don't control um, we don't control mother nature we don't control fire and we don't control public lands Colorado Parks and Wildlife. You know we're we're kind of advisory to those public land agencies. Let me give you the best example I can give you: the Pine Gulch Fire, 139,000 acres north of Grand Junction in Mesa and Garfield counties. Massive fire. We were we're actually very fortunate in that fire that there were very few structures burned. There were some private, you know, barns and cabins, and, you know, outbuilding kind of kind of damage. Um, but that 139,000 acres initially closed 640,000 acres as they, they work to, you know, shut down roads, keep people out of areas where there may be danger or where firefighters are working. And so just because you hear, oh, there's a 139,000 acre fire, what you really have to think about when it comes to the impacts on it, recreation specifically hunting as we're talking is that's not the limit of it this is 139,000 acre fire that turned into a 640,000 acre closure during parts of that and so our job really is those those federal land agencies in that case the bureau of land management was working with them to try to say, okay, you know, how can we, how can we begin to work to shrink these closures so we can still get people in there and still be able to manage wildlife? If you think about what we use hunting for, we're really managing populations. We wanna keep those populations at the size that the habitat will support.
0: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: What we don't want is a bunch of deer and elk that you know starve all winter, because there's too many of them, and so hunting plays an important role in that. And then when you see fires come through and that winter range gets impacted, the potential for starvation goes up. So it's still just as important, maybe more important, for us to be able to put hunters in the field and to be able to say, okay, you know, let's harvest as many of these animals as we can, so that we're not dealing come you know February, March. With you know deer and elk walking around, you know skin over skeleton and, and falling down in people's driveways.
1: So it's um, obviously in best interest of Colorado Parks and Wildlife and our wildlife that we had our hunters in the field, and yes. I, and so yeah. we just wanted to put it out there that you guys are not wanting to to slow that process because it just messes things up for you guys. So I I, sure. I think I think the somebody's want to wanting to blame somebody. So I'm sure you guys get blamed frequently <laughs> for things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so that's and that, not the not the focus. You lose out on on the financial piece as well, which we can sure. get to later.
2: Sure. You know, and 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 it isn't even just the, you know, the financial piece, throw in the political piece a little bit. Fear plays a, a factor in what we've had to do kind of behind the scenes. Because I will tell you when all the fires were burning you know, and are burning up in, in kind of the mountain areas. We got contacted by a number of counties in other areas that said, hey, are you canceling hunting seasons? We're worried that, you know, lots of hunters will come here because there's no fires and they'll, they'll start fires. So, you know, we had on the back end really work through um, a lot of that and and really educate public land managers about the fact that wait a second you know hunters are not inherently more dangerous than you know your weekend backpack camper guy um or or anybody else in the woods right you know um we're not we're not shutting off hunting uh in in some of these areas because there's this this fear you know and and it was there was almost a move in some areas to to kind of villainize hunters as the potential, um, you know, vector for these fires. And that that's not the case um, is we've had to educate quite a few public land managers this year and just say, look, you know, hunters are the the original conservationists. Man, you know, there there wouldn't be wildlife if if it weren't for, you know, hunting and fishing dollars that have. That have put elk in the mountains of Colorado, moose in the mountains of Colorado, bighorn sheep, you know, and and taking care of many many other species.
1: Right. We just had,
2: care about the the resource. We, so it's, we, it's been interesting.
1: Yeah, we just had Perry Will on last week, and he uh, went into that in in depth of of how important hunters are in that. So we, yeah, we have Absolutely. to have we and have we, to have us in the field
2: we have to push you know the the message as well as an agency to many of these these people that don't know that you know when it and and something i've repeated often as we've gone through this process you know is, is the communities like rifle craig meeker you know for these communities the hunting season is just as important as ski season is to aspen or vale this is you know, in many ways, the lifeblood of those communities is the the people that come in, that spend the money, that do the things, and it's been hard enough with COVID, and and now throw fires on top. So it's 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 been a tremendous challenge. Sure. Um, you know, and people don't see that. People don't see the the discussions on the back end. Right. You know,
1: and let's let's talk biological first because this is where most of our questions are Mm -hmm. those of us that are empathetic and, and understand and uh, realize, well, it's, we can't hunt there this year. Okay. Well, I'll go find another spot. There's a lot of public land. It may have burned up somebody's honey hole. That's sad. And and on another sad point. Uh, But now we start thinking about movement of wildlife. We think about Mm -hmm. their migration in the next year uh, or this year, we think about: um, Are they going to be returning to these burn areas? Are they? Uh, how long does that take for that those green, high nutrient shoots to come back up? And when are they going to be moving back in? And so those are some of the the areas I'd like to touch on. And I do sure. know when the pine gulch first hit. I uh, spoke with uh, Scott Hoyer, who's a wildlife officer in this area, and I think that. Gets close to his area maybe not quite but he had mentioned how he there's some milk already while that fire was still going had circled back around and we're back mm-hmm. in those burn areas in those small patches
2: sure so, sure um, it, it, from a from biological perspective and 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 people very concerned they're like oh my goodness you know what are you doing for the deer and the elk and the bears and the, the, you know the lions and and all of these things and The reality is fire is part of their ecosystem. It has been for thousands and thousands of years. There's, you know, stories from the past of fires that were so huge in the Western United States that they would literally blot out the sun for entire summers where early settlers couldn't grow crops because there was no sunshine. So. Fire is a is a is absolutely a part of this system, and animals have evolved with that fire in their world. Now, there are individual animals that die. Undoubtedly, we've seen that the East Troublesome fire really, because of the speed with which it moved on the day it blew up, that you know that that had an impact. There's individual animals that die, but across the board, from a population standpoint. These animals are very in tune with moving around and and getting through these fires without, you know, significant population level impact. And and so in the short term, we don't see, you know, all these animals just dying. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. They move. They they utilize terrain, um, you know, fires burn. Um, faster going uphill and, and, and a little slower going downhill, and and so, you know, animals know those kinds of things. Fires burn in a mosaic pattern; they don't just go out and scorch. You know, when when we say 139,000 acres for the Pine Gulch fire, that is not now 139,000 acres of nothing but black and ash. Those are the pictures we see; those are the the stories we see out there because that's that's the compelling stuff, but let's take grizzly creek for example everybody thought oh my god the grizzly creek fire blew up the grizzly creek fire you know got into into hanging lake and it'll never be the same because initially that was the fear was okay hanging lake burned up and yet a couple days you know later they get the the drones and helicopters in there and they go hey wait a second look it just skipped right over that and that's what it does it'll jump those canyons it'll jump those areas and so you end up with with what we in the you know in the agency call a mosaic pattern, which is areas that are burned and areas that are not. And it's actually really great habitat work. Um, it's it's really really good for wildlife habitat to have some of those areas that are cleared out. So as an agency, we're we're starting to to kind of educate people about some of those things and. Um, you know, in the Hayman fire, one of the things that, that we saw after the Hayman fire on the front range uh, was the ability of the agents to go in and put, put bighorn sheep back into that area where they hadn't been for many, many years because the habitat was too overgrown. Bighorn sheep won't do well in an area where they don't have good, clean sight lines to avoid predators. And so when that became overgrown, the sheep were eventually, you know – Kind of out of the area, and, and after the Hayman fire, we were able to put bighorn sheep back in there because it was a much more natural kind of environment for them. Um, we have been tracking, and our GIS unit just got some really cool data last week. We have a number of elk collars um, out there, you know, the the GPS kind of collars that help us track elk movements. And a couple of projects that we're working on, big studies on elk and, and calf survival and all of those things. But several of these studies have taken place in areas where major fires are, are burning now or have just burnt. And so our, our GIS folks, our mapping folks, are actually taking a look at all of that collar data. And putting that in with the the fire progression maps that we just got late last week from the federal fire managers, and they're able to say, hey, you know, if we overlay this, we can actually see where do those animals go? You know, how do they move around those fires? And so we're working on getting some animated mapping and things like that done that we'll we'll certainly put out and and put on our website so that people can go, okay, what really happens in a fire? How does – you know, how does a herd of elk move and survive and actually see it on the ground in real time with where that fire is going? So biologically, the animals are, are OK. And, and what we anticipate is they will see population level impacts, positive population level impacts over the next few years because of the, the high quality forage that will grow and backfill in these fire areas. We know elk are already using the, you know, certainly the pine gulch burn. They move in within days, um, sometimes in the act of fire itself, but several days after you start to see green, you know, Forbes food popping up and it's actually highly nutritious. It's, it's well, 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 Taken care of by all that ash, all that nitrogen, and so it makes good soil. It makes good growth. So, biologically, fire is a benefit for wildlife.
1: Interesting. That'll be a cool set of data to see. Um,
2: Absolutely. Those maps are. I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a junkie for junkie for that kind of data, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing. Okay. How does it work? We know it works because we know after fires you go back in and the elk are there and you know population flights later in the in the winter and and the numbers are good and you know we know what what's what's the outcome but we don't really know the inner working and so that data that data will be really cool to look at.
1: Yeah. Wow. That'll be neat. So, bottom line, also, what I to conclude or to conclude that thought. Is the hunting still going to be good? <laughs> After, I mean, as soon as you can get in there, there there's a good chance that elk are still going to be there, or they're, they've they come back, or uh they're going to be in those little pockets. And seeing some of those aerial shots, you can see that there's not a hundred percent of the landscape is burned. There's still some cover, and mm-hmm. and so like you said, they're going to take advantage of those green shoots coming up and. Yeah, they may not be out in that middle of the open of the burn, but they'll be there eventually. So mm-hmm. I, I've also heard from other CPW folks that there's going to be, it's just going to be good hunting in there. Also, I don't know how many times I've heard over the my hunting career, hunt the burns, hunt the burns, hunt the burns, because yeah. it's, it's good, good hunting. Yeah. So yep. yeah, we may have a, a rough year of hunting, but who knows, somebody out there is going to shoot a big old buck someday in a burn area pretty mm-hmm. soon and they'll mm-hmm. be like oh man that was cool i'm gonna hunt this burn area for the rest of my life now yeah. <laughs> just yeah. because it, they they're gonna have a good experience some i i guarantee that someday somebody's gonna shoot say that exact thing they're gonna shoot a big oh, yeah. buck in one of the new burn areas
2: yep undoubtedly undoubtedly these are areas that you know it it impacts hunters this year because they have to you know, they have to move around closures. They have to, you know, understand that maybe some animals have moved. It's changed a a migratory pattern in the short term. Um, You know, like I said, the animals don't burn up. And, And so when a hunter would call me and go, hey, you know, I don't know what to do. When we can take a look at that license and go, okay, wait a second, you know, you're not stuck on this one unit. You've got a license that has five units. What if we look at the fringes, you know, what if we take a look at where are those fringe areas of the fire, where those animals likely moved into initially and and look at hunting those. And, um, you know, once you kind of explain it to people,
0: the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985, while Colt produced the original. Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
2: Really, their opportunity may be better because the animals will be concentrated um, in, in those fringe areas. Um, and and like I said, biologically, we still have to we still have to have a harvest. Yeah. You know, if everybody stood back and and said, gee, OK, I feel you know, I feel bad for the animals. Let's not hunt this year. You're you're going to feel really bad for the animals in March when they're you know, when they're skin and bones and falling over. Right. Um, because that 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 would be a situation nobody wants to see. And it it'll happen in the winter when the animals are down low in you know, in everybody's yards. And, and, and that's not what anybody wants either.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point and a good transition into the social aspects that you're dealing with, with mm-hmm. these things and, and the phone calls you're getting. What do you talk to us about that? What are you hearing and what do we need to debunk a little or, or
2: tackle? Um, You know, the, the the theory that all the animals must have died in the fire because people would have um, is, is probably the biggest one to, to kind of, to, to get people to step back from.
1: Hey, apparently they've um, never seen an elk go up and over two ridges by the time we take 50 yards, <laughs> go walk right. 20 yards uh, sorry to interrupt, go on.
2: No, no, it's, it's true. And, you know, we did get a lot of calls. We got calls from people that said, Hey, there's an injured bear. There's this or that, you know, and we had a couple of injured bears where we would go up and assess and go, okay, well, you know, this little guy burned his paws and he's not going to be able to, to, to recover from that on his own. Um, and so we had a couple of bears that went to rehab and things like that. And, and, and so, you know, we do try to do what we can. We also had animals that were, that were injured enough that they weren't going to be okay, you know, that, that needed to be put down. Um, I, I had a story out of the East Troublesome Fire. One of our wildlife officers went up on, a, on an elk that was injured and put the elk down. Um, and the next day went back in cause there was a bear call from the same landowner. So we went back in to check a bear to see if the bear was okay in the same area. And the only reason the bear was hanging out was because, you know, the wildlife manager had left the elk there. Um, and so this, this bear had come in and was, you know, was trying to eat this elk and it was a fairly young bear having some trouble with the, with the, the hide on the elk. And so the, the wildlife manager skinned the elk out for him and left the bear because the bear was doing fine other than, you know, being young and inexperienced about how to, you know, how to eat an elk. Um, and so he skinned it out and that, that bear will be fine. You know, it'll, it'll have a big elk and, and go into hibernation, hopefully, and, you know, everything will be okay. Um, there's, there's times we take action and there's times we don't. And and sometimes people call and they go, oh no, you know, this animal's injured and you need to go take care of it. And and the thing people have to realize is that, you know, if we go out and tranquilize it, there's a risk. There's a risk to tranquilizing animals. If you go in for surgery, your doctor knows exactly how much you weigh to the ounce. Your doctor also knows when you ate last because that affects how those those drugs interact in your system. We don't have that advantage. We go out on a bear and people say, oh, just tranquilize it. Well, if you've ever, if you've ever hunted bear, you know the difference between how big a bear looks and how big a bear actually is.
1: Oh, yeah. Estimating,
2: yeah. you know, oh, I got this great 500-pound bear. I'm going to kill this bear. And it turns out, you know, at about 300 pounds. And people always overestimate because they got all that fur, you know, big, thick, thick skin and hide. And, and so – what happens is we have to guess, you know, you're looking at a bear up a tree and you're going, Oh, that bear is X weight roughly. Well, you don't know if the bear ate eight hours ago or, or, ha- you know, eight ten 10 minutes ago. And, and so the drugs are going to have different interactions in that. And so there's a risk that we're going to kill an animal when you tranquilize it. So what we have to weigh when somebody calls and goes, Oh, the elk is hurt. Come fix it. Um, is our fix may make it dead. And, and so if it's able to move and eat, we're probably going to leave it alone.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, so let's keep rolling with, with a bit of the, 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 political side and the social aspects that that we're dealing with and Mm -hmm. combating these these challenges these challenges that we have or you guys have as you try to manage wildlife and deal with with a, a natural
2: disaster never never easy um and and we try to you know we try to work in an educational way Um, Because I think that if if we stood back and if if public land managers had their their choice, many of them, I think, would have closed more land than we saw closed. Um, I think there were many forests that said, you know what, this is too dangerous. Shut it down. And, you know if if we're not on those phone calls every day with them saying look, you know, we we can't go that route, you know, we need to get people in there and here's the implications um then then those lands close up right hmm. and it's it's been a it's been a challenge lots of calls from hunters you know like I said that that say oh well wait my you know, a third of my area is closed. The place I usually go is closed. And, and we've had to say, look, you know, we, we can't just, you know, refund everybody the money. Um, in terms of non-resident elk licenses, you know, $54 billion a year. Um, and, and, and that's financially important to the agency. We don't, you know, we don't survive. We don't manage wildlife without hunting and fishing dollars. Right, and so you know everything kind of plays together. It's not just about the money. It's also about the biology. It's also about the social. But there's a financial element as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the that's got to be frustrating for hunters. But again, maybe seek. Sees the opportunity to go find another piece of property. I mean, we, sure, we got to realize that this is this is sure. uh, a fluke year, just like COVID, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and that's just another yeah, 2020
2: thing. Twenty twenty can twenty twenty can't go away fast enough. Oh, we man. understand the frustration that hunters have. Um, yeah. you know we get it that. Um, you know, that, that this is a challenge for hunters and, you know, we didn't, we didn't choose this any more than they did. Um, nobody did, you know, everybody would have rather had a, a nice, normal, you know, nice wet year and, and go hunt. Um, but this is the, this kind of the situation we're in. So we've been, we've been generous as, as much as possible with the areas where people are truly impacted. Um, And offered, uh, you know, refunds for for these areas that are impacted for people up until the day before the hunt. You know, generally we have a 30-day limit on when we can refund. Right. So, you know, to to say that most of these fire refunds, you know, as long as you turn your license in the day before or even a couple days after the season starts uh, because of the constantly changing nature of these things. Um, we're gonna honor that and, and make sure that people are taken care of so we are trying to be flexible it's not that we're inflexible but we also can't just step back and go hey okay well if you don't want to hunt you know never mind um, we'll refund everything right um, we just don't have the the ability to do that
1: yeah well I, I am on one of those that's not has not been my hunt's been personally impacted so i I'm, i guess i'm a little less empathetic on the side of the oh my hunt is ruined so i apologize to my listeners for that but <laughs> i uh it just kind of seems like a cut and dry conversation but it it hasn't been there's been so many posts like crazy uh I, i'm an admin on i hunt colorado uh facebook page and oh my gosh it's either a uh biden trump comment which we're deleting a wolf comment which we're deleting or something about fires which just goes it blows up any one of those three areas and people are arguing and fighting over something about fires seems kind of like a cut and dry thing maybe i i I don't know i'm just thinking common sense wise on some of this stuff but I don't know. <laughs> I guess.
2: 2020 may be a year with very little common sense. I think, I think you're right. Clint. You know, we see it. Um, and you're right, you know, and yes, we're in the middle of the conversation about wolves. And yes, we're in the middle of the conversation about fires and, you know, and COVID. And so, um, you know, we see it too. Um, people have a lot of frustration now, I've seen people have a, a great um, amount of grace, uh, a great amount of understanding, a great amount of compassion. I've seen people that are frustrated, um, and we, we understand that, too. Um, and so we're just trying to be human and sit back here and, and try and help people individually. What I, I guess the bottom line, if we have to bring this all full circle, Clint, the bottom line is if you're impacted talk to somebody within the agency. Um, You know, everybody can go post what they want to post on, you know, some Facebook page, but if you're impacted, contact Colorado parks and wildlife and understand your options and recognize everybody's doing everything they can to, to try to help. Um, And, and at least get your, get your options laid out for you.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: And, and we'll do what we can. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, Clint, I'll give you, uh, I'll give your listeners, if, if, if they feel like they aren't getting what they need, if they're in the northwest part of the state or we're hunting in the northwest part of the state, they are welcome to contact me and I can help them through whatever process or at least give them a clean answer of no can't do it or yes you can or, or here's your options my cell phone number nine seven zero six four zero one six four seven and anybody's welcome to call me nine seven oh six four oh one six four seven um i like i said i'll i'll chat with people and help them if they can't find what they need that's my job
1: perfect well we got the right guy on the phone (laughs)
2: <laughs> right there <laughs> yeah maybe i may have to turn my phone off no.
1: <laughs> uh i i wish that were the case i mean i got a decent listening audience but i don't think uh your, your phone's gonna be ringing off the <laughs> hook right now
2: overwhelming no, yeah that's, that's
1: but nice. but you're the person to reach out to because uh second season just ended i'm sure mm-hmm. the game wardens are taking a couple days off hopefully and, but mm-hmm. most of them are ramping up to the third season starts and they're in the middle of probably a ton of cases and uh, dealing with lots and lots of stuff right now. So getting a hold of a, a division wildlife officer is probably not the easiest thing. Uh, sure. Uh, at the sure. moment to talk about things like this. So. Sure. And they're always the go-to. Those are the front mm-hmm. desk guys and gals, <laughs> the ones that mm-hmm. probably hear the 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 grunt of things. So it's good to know the uh, your position is there to deal with exactly that dealing with the public and and, yep absolutely trying to
2: yeah and I I tell people all the time I don't know much but I know people that know stuff so you know I may not always be able to answer the question but I can always tell people hey here's who you need to talk to it's not about what you know it's who you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) fortunately for me yeah
1: yeah I'm in the same same boat networking is key (laughs) yeah no doubt but uh, any last comments we we can share with
2: folks about you know, these all fires? I, all I would say is a big a big thank you to everybody that's shown some some grace and some understanding. A big thank you to the the first responders, the firefighters, the people that have that have come in and really saved Colorado from something that could have been much much worse. And, you know, for people that are first responders, if you were out, you know, working a fire, and didn't get an opportunity to, to use your license or those things, send us a refund application. We'll absolutely work with those and we're making exceptions for first responders that can, you know, that can show that they were, they were working a fire We're we're doing what we can, but thank you to them, I guess would be the way I would, I would close it because it's, it's been quite a year yeah well
1: yes it has well uh but there's silver linings in every every little bit of it and i tell (laughs) you what we hope
2: so
1: so just plan everybody everybody
2: in the field next year because you know what um it it should be an amazing hunting year and 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 certainly 2020 still got some left in it but next year all those burn areas um you know we'll yeah. see you all out there because yeah. it's it, it should be a great one
1: burn areas with a really late third and fourth season oh man mm-hmm. deer season's gonna be good <laughs> mm-hmm. undoubtedly a, yeah get a deer tag next year all right yeah. randy well uh that's that's exactly what we needed we needed to talk yeah. fires and and i appreciate your time on that
2: thanks clint we appreciate you but it ain't my ground. This is God's country